Carlo with Race to Walk, and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday. And what I do in these weekly updates is I share where we're at in helping some Afghan Christians who evacuated to Pakistan after 2021, um, where we're at in helping them with their immigration journey. And I also just share some thoughts for the week. So the way I got involved with this, um, I have a friend, Mark Ritchie, who had been ministering in um, Pakistan via Zoom, do, doing Bible studies and conferences uh, since 2020. And he asked me to help him with some of those classes in 2021. So I did that. That was actually a really interesting experience. Um, I was taught some Bible studies, also spoke at a few pastors conferences there. And so that was, um, that was the beginning of it. And then in 2022, um, in October, there was a uh, Pakistan started um, cracking down on um, foreign nationals in general uh, that didn't have valid visas, but they started making it more restrictive for Afghans not renewing visas, um, just harassing them, arresting them, bribes, extortion, all of this. So we started trying to help them look at basically get uh, straightened out as far as their visa situation and also uh, looking at immigration options. And during that time, uh, Mark brought his friend Don into the effort and Don has a ministry at donshireministries.org. Um, and Don had, uh, if people donate to their donshireministries.org and select race to walk, then he uh, will send that money to our people and help in this effort. Um, he does missions all over the world in Haiti and different areas in Africa. So that was really, really helpful because he knows how to get money there. And also, you know, that wouldn't, since that's what he does internationally, um, humanitarian efforts, it's not, doesn't raise red flags with uh, like the IRS and the Department of Homeland Security about you know why he's sending money over in those areas so anyway so that's what we're doing but i used always share a few thoughts i've had for the week and uh this week is really on the topic of christian nihilism and um you may say what is that and we've heard a lot or at least there's been a lot in the news recently about christian nationalism um and that is an issue but i think that nihilism uh, among Christians is actually kind of the root of that. So what is nihilism? So nihilism is a rejection of um, all religious and moral principles and the belief that life is meaningless. And this really had its root, well, they say it had the root in this, um, the Extreme Revolutionary Party. This is a definition in, um, on Wikipedia, uh, just in, in uh, the dictionary, but I don't necessarily think that it had its root there. Uh, this is a description on Wikipedia. And nihilism is a family of views within philosophy that rejects generally accepted or fundamental aspects of human existence, such as knowledge, morality, or meaning. The term was popularized by Ivan Chernigov and more specifically by his character, Bazarov in the novel, Fathers and Sons. There have been different nihilist positions, including that human values are baseless, that life is meaningless, that knowledge is impossible, or that some set of, set of entities does not exist, or, it, 
is meaningless or pointless. So uh, again, it's it's not recent. I can't remember. Is it was it Protagoras that um, argued against nihilism? It's it's not a new thing. It's old, but um, the uh, if you look on. If you want to learn more about this, um, if you go to um, Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, it has a whole section on this as far as the meaning of life. And um, this Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy is actually a pretty awesome place to go um, if you want to learn anything about philosophy and aren't in a class somewhere. Um, that is one thing that helped me a lot when I was in the apologetics program. They you know, when I was needing to learn about Neoplatonism, I went and used their section on it there. They have a lot of really good information. And so that is a go-to in terms of philosophy. If you want to learn things about theology, there is a site called the um, Classics, the uh, Christian Classics Ethereal Library. And it is really um, pretty much every every major Christian uh, theologian or writer they have available online for free. And so, especially like when I was looking at like the Anastasian Fathers and you know reading about those early church writers, that was really helpful to me. So, you don't have to be in a you know go to seminary or into graduate school to learn about these things. These um, you know, we have a lot of resources online, and so it's available to uh, read and learn about anywhere that we go. But I think when you understand what some of these these uh, worldviews are, then you can identify it in when you see it, when it's going on, right? And so one of the things that I've been um, reading lately, it's, I, oh, shoot, missing a slide. So... One of the things I've been reading lately is Notes from the Underground by Dostoevsky. Uh, we have an issue uh, coming up in in December um, from an unexpected journal on Dostoevsky. And that really, his character, the main character in that novel is really coming from a nihilistic uh, perspective. And you kind of see how this, this ugliness, this hopelessness, and really kind of the self-hatred is kind of rooted in that philosophy and is tied to it. The other one, this may seem like a weird pairing, is um, After Death by Dean Coons. And this is one of his more recent novels. I love Dean Coons. Every time I, I didn't start reading him, never read one of his books until a little over a year ago. I read Devoted, which was amazing. I did a live stream video with my friend um, Annie Nardoni on that book, and we discussed it. This, he is Number one, he's such an amazing writer. I read his what he writes, and I think, wow, this is like just reading one of his books is like taking a writing class because you can see some of the things he does, how he like engages a reader, how he drops things in, the characterization, um, how he incorporates really a lot of philosophical themes in it without being um, pedantic about it. And what I've I haven't read a, a huge ton of his, but what I have read about his is that he is very, um, he talks a lot about um, what it means to be human. And um, he talks, he incorporates a lot of themes of transhumanism. 
you know, how we become less human. And uh, some of that is in the stories, the plots integrate like a mechanical way of how we become less human or sometimes more human. But it's this one's really interesting in that um, both of these, both Devoted and After Death, characters become something more than what they were before. And that power gives them the ability to choose what it is that they will be, right? So they can, they can choose the, the wrong aspects of themselves or the ugliness that's in them, or they can choose differently. And so between devoted and after death, I think that is, that's one really good comparison, but he, he always has characters. Well, I don't know about always, but this is in the books that I've read. He has characters that have a nihilistic attitude. Like there's nothing, this is all there, there is. It's really clear, really clear in this one is the, um, introductory villains. I'm not all the way through, but the beginning villains, they come out and say this, that there's a point that it's basically, you know, everybody's out for themselves and, you know, what you can get here in life is really all that there is. And so you might as well um, win the game here and get all the marbles, right? And um, his books really show that that's not, that's not the way to live. You know, that it is, um, it is not only love, but this, this fellowship of man that, um, that makes life worth living and that there is more beyond life, right? There is more than this life here. There is something not only to live for, but to die for if necessary. And so when we look at what Christians believe, we believe that that's, that's the hope of the gospel, right? That this is not all that there is. Um, in Ephesians 1, verse 18, or chapter 1, verse 18, Paul opens this up by saying, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So the point of the gospel is that he was to redeem us, right? He came so he could redeem us. He, God gave us, created a, per, a, a perfect world for us, but we had a choice and we chose to know, um, we chose to know evil. We wanted to know what, where God was not, right? And so he can give us a perfect world, but if we have free will human beings that can really choose to love and be in fellowship with him because without a choice, love is not, right? Then, but without human beings that choose that, then we wreck that paradise. And so not only is the hope of the gospel that this is not all that there is, there is a just and good God who will, in the end, um, oh my goodness, who in the end will, uh, will bring justice and righteousness, but that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, right? So this is, this is our hope. So our hope, we... We work to bring the gospel of peace here, but the here and now is not all that there is, and it's not our end goal. And so I think with some of the things that we see now in Christian spaces, they've 
put the end goal on, you know, the United States of America, which is a completely ridiculous, that's just completely ridiculous because we are, everything is temporary here. So this is the thing. I had a slide about Isaiah 65 and I'm missing, I'm missing one of my slides. Uh, this is, where is it? Isaiah 65. Let me look. Okay. So I'm going to read the first part because I'm missing a slide. But um, this is the promise. This is the, the good end. So this is a good end after, you know, God has worked in us the plan of salvation, which is the transformation of us. Uh, this transformation, renewal, and redemption by the Holy Spirit, you know, right? Through the power of the cross. He's working in new us, and he's also going to be working in new heaven and earth. So this is in Isaiah 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad enjoy, and rejoice forever in what I will create. So the thing that we, we are working towards has not even been created yet. And so then um, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man. Oh, shoot. I'm actually reading the wrong translation. NLT. I'm just saying it. Um, let me read this again. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain and their children will not be doomed to misfortune, but they are the people blessed by the Lord and their children too will be, will be, oh shoot, and their people too will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cloud, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. So this is talking about the new heaven and earth, where there will be, it is the full fulfillment of God's intention and plan for us. So, the thing is, when we, this is what, um, this is a promise, right? This is our hope. But unfortunately, we have some people who are in the church, um, or maybe not. Maybe they're just using the church. I don't know where they're at. And they either don't know that, or they don't, they don't actually believe to begin with. And they don't know. I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is. Sometimes I think there are people that are just so poorly taught and poorly discipled that they really don't even have a clue about you know, the plan of salvation, what it means to be a Christian. I think that's part of it. But sometimes I think it's that they don't really care, and they don't actually believe 
what they say they believe and they're just using Christianity as a tool as a way to control and to have power so this is one of the things that it's been showing up on my feed um, oh here it is here's a, the main article it's like Christianity Today and their evangelicals called Jesus liberal and weak and so they're talking about Russell Moore who's been speaking out for um, used to be like head of the ethics committee or something commission I don't know what it was with the Southern Baptist Convention he sent he since less the denomination but he was saying and he said this in a couple of interviews that what he's heard from pastors over and over again that like um, people will they'll read on um, pastors will give a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount and that what really bothers people is that when they say um, specifically like to turn the other cheek as people will come up to him, where did you get those liberal talking points? And the pastor will say, I'm quoting Jesus. And rather than saying, oh, okay, sorry, they'll say, you know, that just doesn't work today. And uh, first of all, it's a very ignorant um, mindset to have as if things weren't uh, serious and there weren't actual real consequences when Jesus was speaking. Um, crucifixion was invented by the Romans and this was a a way it's, not only was it one of the most painful ways to die but it was to warn their anyone else that would possibly um, stand up against them that this could happen to you it was supposed to be visual brutal and very painful for a reason to try to keep people from you know standing up against them so there have been real consequences um, that Jesus, as well as the early Christians, were facing. Um, the letters in the New Testament were written to believers who were experiencing persecution not only from their fellow Jews, but also from the Roman Empire. So the church was birthed by persecution, was born into it, and continued in severe persecution for the first hundred years of the church Pers actual true persecution they there was a cbs was an early church historian if you go to that website ccl.org that i mentioned you can read these his writings and he talks about how they would drive christians through the street till they were you know bloody and um it said the the roads were flowed with the blood of christians they would tie they would bind like these saplings together and then these trees that would be, be apart they would bind them together and then tie Christians to them and then cut cut this the the ties and then so the Christians be torn apart I mean really really brutal as brutal as the Taliban are to their enemies today they are the Romans were more brutal and this is what not only the church was born into but that it spread and thrived in so persecution is really not it's not a problem because you know what it, it actually purifies the church because it keeps people that are just in it for what they can get out and this is what you see that like if you look today the places where christianity is exploding like china you know it's in places where there is persecution it's been we've had it so easy here in the U.S. that we have a lot of people in the church that 
you know, they don't, they don't need to, um, a lot of times it's just cultural. You know, they, they go to church because they think they're Americans and just because they're an American, they're Christian. I'll just be honest. A lot of, a lot of people that I've been interacting with as I've been, um, working with the African Christians, you know, I've met a lot of Muslim people that have helped me and, Sometimes, you know, it's not necessarily, it's kind of the same thing. It's a cultural thing for them. You know, this is the culture that they grew, grew up in. Do they, um, are they really committed to the tenets of Islam? Do they have, they looked at an understanding of who Islam says that God is? I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think it's just, you know, it's, this is just what they do in the culture. But we, we're exactly the same. There's a lot of people that they show up to church on, Christmas or in Easter or maybe not even then maybe they just like posting memes on Facebook and they really have no um, idea and understanding of it and what's scary is that I'm just thinking about this this morning sometimes I get comments on my Bible study videos I'm like I'm thinking what are you even talking about and I I have to remind myself I was just reminding myself this morning that we have gone through um, and are still in like a historic pandemic. Uh, we are, we have segments of the United States that uh, turned into anti-science anti-vaxxers who have had COVID probably who knows how many times. And COVID affects the brain. And in addition to all of these other things, you know, in our body that it affects, but, um, you know, like all the, the uh, people that couldn't smell, it affects the olfactory cortex. And that actually helps process. One of the things it does, it also helps us process and synthesize emotions. And um, so we have a lot of people who have d diminished mental capacity because they've had COVID can't regulate, you know, I have probably have, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. okay, no problem. Um, probably have people that have just can't really control their emotions, you know, and so, and probably aren't aware of that either and that they need to um, check that. And like people who are neurodivergent, you know, that they, um, they know that there are certain areas that they need to check and to work on. Yeah, I heard Hugh Ross say one time, he came and spoke at our church, and he's an astrophysicist. And he said, he has Asperger's, and he said, he's telling other people who, you know, have autism and specifically Asperger's, it's like, you know, this social interaction, it can be a little bit more difficult for you, but you can when you work on it. Well, people have have had these, this, um, multiple infections that affects both their mind and emotions and they're not actually aware of that, then they're probably not even thinking, okay, I need to check, right? So my point is that sometimes we've had a lack of understanding about Bible and what it means before, before all this. And it's probably going to be more difficult for people to understand that now because some of the comments I was just getting yesterday, I had two in a row, and I'm thinking, okay, what you're saying, I literally said this, or literally explained it like right at the beginning of the video that you're commenting on. 
So how are you missing this connection? And I'm thinking, this is probably, I just need to have patience with this because this is probably gonna happen a lot more. It probably is gonna take a lot more explanation to, for people to understand because we literally have an entire population of people that probably have diminished capacity to do that. So anyway, so that's one thing, it's lack of understanding. The other thing is just straight up people using things to their own purpose. Like, um, let me go back to this. Like, Michael, what? Okay, sorry. I have different layouts. Sometimes I hit the wrong one. So like Michael Flynn, you know, he goes, and he's talking to a group of pastors. And he's like, he's like amping up all this fear. He's like, we are at war. You're going to die. You're going to die. We're at war. And he just, it's like, dude, shut up. Okay. Yeah. Every single one of us is going to die. And so that's just a fact of life. And the fact that any Christian entity gives him a platform is disgusting. Anybody who, so this is the thing, you just, you are who you run with. And if you're in a church or watching people or any sort of affiliation that is giving somebody like this room, you need to rethink that because this is literally, if they think that he is somebody that should have a platform and a voice and is endorsing him, then you just need to cut ties and not listen to anybody that's promoting him anymore. Same thing with like Turning Point, Charlie Kirk is supposed to, I've heard him referred to as a Christian leader. The guy puts on conferences and the pastor's conferences and has James Lindsay, who is an atheist, speak. What the heck? That should be a humongous red flag. Anyway, so again, it's like they don't think that there's any point. Like there's no, they think that this is all there is, that they won't answer for their actions and that they can do whatever they want, which is not true. So another thing is you just have to wonder, do you think you're never going to be called to account? Because this is Matthew. This is talking about, it's talking about the, the judgment day and the end times. And right before this, it, this is the whole passage about the separation of the sheep from the goats. If you, if you know this, I know that some people aren't aware of this and they don't want to be called sheep, but in, <laughs> uh, Jesus calls his followers his sheep because he, he is a good shepherd. It's it's just very sad that we have such uh, such biblical illiteracy that people don't even realize what it is that they're saying. But anyway, so before this, he's talking to the people. He's separating the goats and the sheep, the right to the left, and the people on the right are going to be going into, you know, paradise, and because they were helping others, and then. It says, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I will tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, 
You are refusing to help me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. It's opposite, right? Because the, the way of the world is to take everything you can, to hoard everything you can, and just to, the, the nihilistic attitude is just to, um, you know, associate and be good to those who can be good to you those you can be get something from which is also kind of one of the definitions of like when we went over manipulators but this is the opposite jesus is saying these are the people that you should be looking after and if you've chosen your own way and your own purpose then the end result is going to be eternal judgment and this is what we read these are the words of jesus but do we act like we believe them? And there's a lot of people who are, you know, claiming and pandering to Christian, you know, the Christian base in politics. And it's very obvious that they don't believe this. And they're very obvious that they're going to be the goats, right? They're going to be going into hell when they come to Judgment Day. So this is one of the things. This is just like... I, it's just beyond, again, Texas is beyond ridiculous, but I'm not spending a lot of time on Texas today, but this is a story. It's a Greg Abbott, you know, the whole, I've talked before about how they are, have a, a buoy barrier with, and they have um, barbed wire in setting up traps in, in the river in case people cross over and that in between the buoys are these saw blades and um, they found dead bodies on it, and so Greg Abbott posted this this week. It, it's so disgusting to me because this is something he should be ashamed of, but he's out there bragging about it. Like his voters are going to be, you know, cheering him on. And he said they they wrote a 300-page brief to the Supreme Court about why it's okay, basically, that they trap and kill people in the river. Can you believe this? And then there was some crazy thing about they were using like the, the flood as justification of it, it didn't even make sense. I can't explain it because it didn't even make sense. I have to wonder like how many times whoever's writing that had COVID because obviously their brain isn't working correctly. But here's what's really besides the fact that it's just disgusting that anybody even is it even defending these actions. What's ridiculous is they're spending all this time defending this, right? Defending these actions when we had, um, I've mentioned our Shady School Board and some other other um, live streams, but there was, they, they had some actual criminal violations in the last bond election, according to somebody that is more familiar with how things should be working. A complaint was filed back in March with a documentation of this. And so he hadn't got a response from the Attorney General's office or the Texas Rangers. So. He called and followed up and talked to an investigator. The guy had just been hired. This investigative office had been empty for months, and that complaint hadn't even been uploaded to the, their database or whatever that needed to be worked on. So you have all these cases of actual fraud and wrongdoing actually going on, and instead our efforts are going and justifying why we can kill immigrants. Priorities. This is just bizarre and this is in this is in a state where they have 
a legislature that's like promoting these Christian values, you really need to check yourself. I just don't even know what to say. But anyway, if we really believe what we say we believe, that there is more than this, and that we will answer to God, then we will be acting differently. Otherwise, we're nihilist, right? We are saying that nothing matters, and that there's really we're really denying God when we do that, when we don't act like we will answer to him afterwards, and we're no be better than Nietzsche, right? That thinks that there is no God, and this is all that there is, when we don't act like we're going to be answering to God for our actions. So, anyway, um, I'm just going to leave that there, but uh, now going on to Afghanistan news, there's been a lot, and I was starting to go, actually, I started my live stream late because I just didn't get them all updated, but I'm not going to cover all of them. If you go to my website, I always do an article um, for each live stream, and it's I just post it there with all the links to, um, each article will have links to all the, everything I mentioned in the stream, but in this one specifically, I'm going to have a lot more articles and uh, links to tweets. Um, this is the thing about Afghanistan. One of the things that Mark and I found really difficult when we were first trying to figure out what was going on. Um, there's really not, like if you look in like mainstream media, you're really not going to find it. It was almost like, it really kind of seemed like there was almost a media blackout. We really weren't hearing about what was going on. And I had to go to Twitter and like find people and sources to follow. So, um, that's what I do. I try to make a collection of kind of the major news points that are going on in each each week. And part of the reason I do this is that there's a, if you watch any of the other live streams, you'll know I've said this multiple times. There's a real push in both the media and as part of the administration to whitewash the Taliban and to make it seem like they want to make it seem like the Taliban are our partners in counterterrorism, which is absolutely not true they are Taliban are the terrorists and they just want to make it seem like everything's good and fine and it's not and so part of the reason I'm doing this is just so it's very clear that that's the lie Taliban are terrorists and thugs and um, so that's what I do I post and share uh, some of the updates that give evidence of that so that when people try to whitewash it you'll know it's a lie so um, this is bizarre thing they are going and collecting televisions in kandahar so people can't know like news and what's going on i'm thinking probably what's next going to be next is taking phones so they don't want any information or ideas coming in that they can't control um i don't have a, a tweet or a link up on this but i will have it on the website one of the other things was zalmay kalazad who was the one of the co-authors of the doha agreement along with Mark Meadows, was encouraging former members of the Afghan government to go back and submit to the Taliban that everything was going to be fine. He said this before, there's another big push. Um, there was another tweet that I came across that said that, well, let me do a recap. So we're coming up on two years of the, since our withdrawal from Afghanistan, from the NATO withdrawal from Afghanistan. And the there have been people posting um, memories of that time and of that day. And 
we went into Afghanistan because they had been hosting uh, and giving support to Al Qaeda who bombed us, right? Who attacked us in 9-11. So we went in after that. Our friends, our NATO allies joined us and we were there for 20 years. There was, I don't know if you remember this, but I still remember the lines for the first election in Afghanistan, they were miles long. You know, people wanting to be able to have a choice to determine their own destiny, right? To have a voice. During that time, while the NATO forces were there, Taliban were there for, you know, doing attacks, trying to fight back. Uh, Stephen Jensen pointed out in a tweet that if the Taliban actually had support, that they wouldn't have had to fight for 20 years to get the support. But there was a, a representative government in Afghanistan before our pullout. And we um, drew down most of our forces and NATO allies between 2013 and 2014. So we had a very small um, presence, military presence in Afghanistan. So it was mostly the Afghan forces that were doing the heavy lifting and heavy brown. We, we provided background and support. There's an article on The Intercept that talks about how after the Doha agreement in February 2020, that uh, that support started being withdrawn and that Afghan forces started being hung out to dry. And uh, Stephen Jensen's mentioned that we've, part of the issue is we, we trained Afghan military and helped them set up a military that really relied on that support. And then we, we pulled out and bailed. So in February, 2020, um, there was a Doha agreement, which the, the Trump administration made with the Taliban and the Afghan government was not part of that conversation. And the Doha agreement was very short, really didn't require much of anything of the Taliban. And we basically promised to withdraw, to not interfere with the Afghan government. And we're, I, I don't know, if, I can't remember if we were, agreed to provide aid, but some of the things I read in there, it almost makes me seem like, so is this why we're not letting providing immigration out to Afghans because we said like Biden said in his his pullout speech that we would support our Afghan allies that we would continue to um, bring them allow them to immigrate here and that the Taliban had promised that they would provide safe passage none of the things that the Taliban has done none, none of it so Mark Meadows and Zalmay Kalzad were the co-authors of that agreement. It was a debacle. If you read, uh, listen to Generation Jihad podcast, the hosts there point out that we didn't need to have an agreement, to, with, especially with the Taliban, to pull out of Afghanistan. We could have just left. We didn't need to like, get their permission to leave. Um, and they said no agreement was better than that agreement. And um, so, and then there's this, all these secret annexes, which the, even the commission that's is in their job is to oversee what's going on in Afghanistan, um, for the U S SIGR, they don't even know what's in those secret annexes. So 
there's a tweet that I'll share in the um, article on my site when I post it that somebody said that because I was asking Bill Roggio that the Generation Jihad had posted something about um, you know the uh, I can't remember what he posted but I was saying well why are we being why are we kowtowing to, to the Taliban I don't understand this and somebody replied that Zalmay Khalizad had um, he was actually a paid lobbyist for the Taliban prior to the pullout and um, he's been working with them trying to get in Qatar to try to get some funds frozen and released to the Taliban and so he's basically a Taliban apologist and that's who wrote the Doha agreement and um, the other thing I, I found out this week is that like if you listen to episode 45 on the on Generation Jihad on the podcast, Bill Rogio said that his he's heard from the the former administration that it was basically uh, that that draw was that they basically just they they really didn't even care what they agreed to that it was just so that they could you know look good and say that they withdrew regardless of what actually happened. I don't understand it, that explains. The agreement it doesn't explain why Biden honored it and anything since then. But anyway, that doesn't surprise me. So we pull out and then in the beginning, there is an effort. To, we, we did. We personally evacuated 76,000 Afghans to the U.S. Um, I think the total with NATO allies was 121,000. Those people that most of them are still in limbo because their uh, applications haven't been processed and uh, Congress hasn't passed the Afghan Adjustment Act that was supposed to um, address that and give them a speedier path to citizenship. Uh, for some reason, about September, I've shared this before, the uh, USCIS stopped processing humanitarian parole applications and there's really, they really haven't been processed other than congressional pullouts. Like somebody knew somebody that they wanted them out. Those are basically all that's been done. And it's just been, there's just been a lot of walls up against Afghans going anywhere. Why that is, I don't know. But um, that's the history of this. And so when you talk about fulfilling promises or the, the need and the concern, for the situation that we left in Afghanistan, the need is real, and we haven't filled our, fulfilled our promises. So that's just that's just a brief overview. But this is these are some of the things that um, some of the other highlights from this week. This is a, a story about an NRF member that the people you know sometimes people will say that oh well why you know we were there. Afghans should have been able to hold their country against the Taliban. Just keep in mind that we left our data to hunt down the people, and we also left biometric scanning equipment, and we basically stacked the deck against the Afghan government to be able to hold their own. We did that. They said they stayed to the very end. I read that, I mean, there's differing opinions on the former president. I read there's a lot of corruption in that former republic. Um, and that's probably true, nowhere near the level of corruption that's in the Tal Taliban government right now. But he got bought out, he left, he bailed, 
And so they were basically standing with nothing left to stand for, really. I mean, there's still a resistance going on today, but, you know, again, everything's stacked against them. So this is just an example of um, the Taliban are, even, there's, starvation is so high in Afghanistan, and there is aid coming in, but the Taliban are taking it. So they're also, um, just, it's just constant, uh, constant harassment of fellow Afghans, anyone that they think that might be against them. This is another update from SIGR, which is a special inspector general for Afghanistan reconstruction. As long as we have are paying any, any money from the U.S. is going to Afghanistan, they're in place and they're just giving an overview. And they've also confirmed that most of the aid the Taliban have been involved in uh, in taking over. Um, if you don't follow any other in any other entity, I would follow Sigur if you want to have any idea about what's going on in Afghanistan. This is a video of an NRF, this National Resistance Front. So they're still still fighting against the Taliban. But this is a video showing them, you know, they're releasing a, a Taliban member because he has children so he can go back home rather than killing them. So the difference between the Taliban and NRF is that the Taliban track down children and kill them if their parents or even someone relative, you know, is has they think that they have um, alliance with, you know, Western forces. This is an article about um, underground schools. Um, they are, the Taliban have shut down. At first it was, they wouldn't allow women to go to the university. Then they wouldn't allow them to go after, I think it was, I don't know, higher education, but now they've, they've shut it down to where they can't go until after, like after third grade, they, they won't be, able, girls won't be able to go to school. And so they are, they have these hidden schools or not hidden schools, but these um, schools at home to teach girls secretly. This one, this is a, another story about um, how, the Taliban have been hunting down prosecutors and killing them. This is the thing, anybody that can stand against them, they're trying to get, you know, there's this big show of like, oh, there's this brain drain from Afghanistan. And I think that's partly to block any, um, or speak against any other countries giving Afghans visas. But they just want them funneled back and killed so that there's no one, anyone that can be that can stand against them are hunted, hunted down and killed. Anyone that can speak against them. So uh, this is another story about hairdressers who they've been protesting. They've been, um, you know, they shut down, Taliban shut down. It, it's just one ridiculous thing after another, but it's just about restriction and control. Uh, again, protests, they were, women were, they were evicted from their homes. There's just so much misery, and that, and we try to whitewash the Taliban. We, as, as speaking of, the U.S. government try to whitewash the Taliban and make it seem like it's okay. 
you know, there, there should be no normalization of the Taliban whatsoever. The other thing is just an article about how the Taliban really has control over um, the central bank, bank in Afghanistan. This is true. I'm, this has been a big concern when even trying to help people in Afghanistan because we send money over there and money's coming in. The Taliban are going to know about that. So that is a huge problem. So if you have, you know, money coming in from a Westerner into somebody in Afghanistan, they're going to know that and help ID that. And there's been stories about people, Taliban, following people that picked up money and robbing them. But it's also going to be worse. There's a, there is a money-changing network, which you can get money into, right, that they wouldn't be able to trace. But also the U.S. government doesn't really like that either. So, you know, it's kind of a catch-22. It makes it very, very, um, very difficult. So those are just a few of the stories. I'm not going to go. There were a lot more. I'm not going to go over all of them. But I'm just going to go over um, what we've been doing this week. Uh, I need to get... I need to get funding for our schooling that started up because uh, the on, the virtual only, he has, I don't know, like 40 to 50 people that want classes. And then the other person that was starting at Insight School, he has 70 people. And they've just started it without any funding. He's like, you know, we need chairs. We need, you know, they, they just need sources. So I need to find funding for that. Um, I'm also working on finding more people that can just kind of work with, talk with them one-on-one, -on -one. you know, the people that know English well enough that they could have conversations with English speakers. So that's one of my projects. There's so much, there's so much. I do use ClickUp and I'm trying to keep track of all these different things that I'm, I'm looking at, but uh, it's a lot. Um, Just trying to keep keep focus. I, I mentioned this before. I'll mention it again. One of the reasons that we're started we're focusing on English right now is that there've been a couple of immigration paths that have opened up that, like in Germany and Canada, that are employment based, but they have to be able to test out at a certain level. So, like the Canadian program, they have to either know French or English. In Germany, it's either English or German, and um, so that is one of the we do have a few people that could qualify for those easily without any question um and they're working on uh, studying for their ielts exam which is a test for english proficiency so some people are already there in the english skills but there are others that um need a little bit of work so we're working on english one of the problems has been there's language centers in islamabad where most of my people are but the language centers have Urdu speakers because Pakistanis speak primarily Urdu and um, they're teaching English so they're trying to learn a language that they don't know from people who speak a language that they don't know so that makes things harder so with these schools that we're working with right that they've started um, they're Afghans fellow Afghans that are teaching them English and I was talking to so the the kids that I work with on Thursdays, they joined in the class and um, I asked them how it was. And they said, oh, it's really good. He said, he's a really good teacher that they are um, working with the teacher that's teaching mainly online. They said, he's really good. He's a really good teacher. It's like, okay, good. That makes me happy. So you could tell that they were just having a lot of fun with it. And like I said, it's just, um, it's working towards something, right? It's helping have hope because one step 
a little bit more prepared. Um, and also, uh, the other thing too is that there have been some of people have had opportunities for asylum with different embassies and they said a lot of the embassies now are not allowing translators to come in with the applicants and they have to be able to present their case in English on their own and this person his English wasn't strong enough and um, he wasn't able to do that so we want people to be able to um, be prepared for any opportunities that come up whether they're employment based whether they're asylum based and also you know if they move to a western country they're going to need to learn English to you know to survive and get along so we're just we're just preparing them for that so if you want to help with that uh, you can go to downshareministries.org and select race to walk and donate whatever amount you want to $25 covers uh, three months of English language training so it literally can uh, help change your life so anyway so that's that the other thing was a little it's just so frustrating to me it's just all the stonewalling and blocks so there was one family that again I don't even know how they made it to Spain and then Germany but they are in a refugee camp in Germany they had their first asylum in uh, interview I asked how it went and they said they thought it went well but they're afraid that they're gonna get sent back to Spain where they got the tourist visa to go and I'm like I don't but they send you back and they're not sure so so much uncertainty so much uncertainty and I just, uh, it's so hard, you know, it's just, when people, I mean, just imagine your, and I know people have been in, in situations where you don't know what's coming next, but just imagine this dragging on for years, you know, and, and just being in limbo constantly, it's just such a stressful situation. So there's that. We also had someone else that went in for his fourth UNHCR um, interview. So UNHCR is a, I've shared this, it's been a while since I shared this, is through the UN, it's like, I can't remember what it's called, it stands for, it's like the Hum, United Nations Human Council of Rights or something. And they issue refugee certifications and for a lot of immigration options to other countries for refugees, they require this designation. So this is a requirement for certain immigration options. Even that Canadian employment-based visa that was newer, that just launched, I guess it was July last month, they require this UNHCR certification. However, if somebody doesn't have it, they have three different Canadian agencies that can determine whether or not the person qualifies. So that's immigration based. But the other reason that I've been stressing that I want them to continue to try to get this UNHCR certification is that if they have that, then they don't have to worry about having a visa in Pakistan to stay without being deported. Pakistan doesn't always honor that, but they shouldn't be able to be deported that way if they have that UNHCR certification. So we wouldn't have to worry about visas. We would also, uh, there's a lot of um, benefits that come, like if they have that certification as far as like schools and education and different things. And also, like even just leaving Pakistan, they have to, uh, they have to file exit permits. And if they don't have a valid visa, they have to pay fines. So if they have that UNHCR certification, 
you wouldn't have to worry about the fines and they're not they can get exit permits from UNHCR we wouldn't have to worry about that either so there's a lot of reasons that I've been asking them to be persistent and just keep on it and they say you know they're not giving them out and I'm like okay but still keep asking still keep trying so what they have to do, they have to register with SHARP, which is a Pakistan office, and they have to register it. And then they get a registration. They get a registration number, just showing they registered. So we have a lot of people that registered back in 2021, haven't even gotten past this point. They've just registered and have that registration number. Then they get a pre-screening interview, and they determine, do you have a possibility, with SHARP, do you have a possibility of having, getting asylum? And if they do, then they take their biometric data and then they give them a UNHCR case number. So after that, they go back for a UNHCR interview. And it used to be sometimes they would, with that UNHCR interview, they would get a certification right then. Um, that's not necessarily the case now. They can go out back for multiple, multiple interviews. After that, if they determine if they are actually a refugee, then they'll get that refugee designation. And then after that, they refer to them to another country. So the refugee designation, they really, Pakistan really hasn't been referring people out of Afghanistan, or not Afghanistan, out of Pakistan for a long time. So we have a couple of families that have had their UNHCR certifications for a long time and they haven't been referred out. But what they've been doing now is they're not even giving the certificates. So we did have a guy who got certificates for his family in March. He had gotten his in 2021, but they got he got some for his family in February or March. But um, we have somebody that was an attorney for the former the former Afghan government, and they have told him they're referring to him to the UK, but he still hasn't received a uh, actual certificate, even though he has a referral. And then we had another family that went in for their fourth interview this week. He said it went well, and they said they will refer him, let him know when they have a referral for him to a country, but they haven't given him the certificate. So it's a verbal, yes, you qualify, but they're saying we're not, we're not giving the certificates. This is an entire mess. And I need to, if you wanna pray for me about something, I need to know like who to, send emails to and get on their case about how ridiculous this is. There's gotta be somebody that I can complain to that this, that can make this happen, but I don't know who that is yet. Anyway, so that was this week. And that's what we've been working on. And uh, it's still just, I don't know, just sending out emails and <laughs> uh, like I said last week, we get a lot of, uh, I'll get, I'll send that email after email and I won't get a response and then I'll get a response to the one. So anyway, you just need, need some more some more movement. It's hard to be patient though. Oh, this is one thing. This isn't really related to them other than I mentioned this in one of my updates. So I've, some of my updates I've talked about are Shady School Board. And in one of the, um, one of the updates I mentioned one of our former trustees that had pretended called himself doctor because he had an honorary degree from some sketch university they gave and uh so i had talked about that and i couldn't remember talked about that in an update and then i'm also still working on editing this 
um, a review of the Sound of Freedom. And I mentioned, it's all related, I promise. I know this doesn't sound like it, there's a connection between this, but there is. I mentioned that same situation in that review that I'm editing right now. And I was going to, I have some screenshots in that Sunday update that I did, but I couldn't remember which week it was that I mentioned that. So I just Googled, I thought, well, I'll just Google it and see what comes up. And I didn't have it in my timestamps either because I have that in, in my, uh, my notes. So I just Googled raised to walk and the guy and started to type the guy's name and it was an auto suggest for not the guy's name and the guy's name in PDF. I was like, Oh my goodness, this is hilarious because this is, this is kind of my highlight of the week. I was like, this is so awesome because I, somebody's got to be listening and they might be concerned about like what I'm really talking about, like the Afghans and their situation. But they want to know, like there are people that have heard it and like want to know the details about our shady school board members. So I think it's hilarious. That was my, that was my, that was my actually my encouragement for the week. Cause it seems like this is the thing I've been talking about that shady school board for years, for years. And just FYI, when all that went down, when he was claiming that he was a doctor and there was, there was actually a complaint filed against him and the district paid money for him to justify that him using that title. I sent the guy an email. I said, this isn't okay. This is and explain the whole thing. He didn't respond to me. So I don't feel guilty about giving him, you know, highlighting it now because he was given an offer, an opportunity not to be an idiot and not to look like a fool and claim a title that he didn't deserve. And he did it anyway. So I don't feel bad about it, but you know, I'm thinking it's so frustrating to me because you talk about all these things and like, it seems like nobody cares and nobody's holding them accountable. And I'm thinking, okay, I may not be able to hold them accountable, but at least I can make them uncomfortable. And it's obviously that there are some people that are listening because there are people looking for that PDF because the PDF is not just the screenshots. There's also a letter saying that uh, from the Texas Workforce Commission about basically that the, the university that he got, he's claiming the honorary degree from is a, doesn't even have a right to operate. So anyway, that was kind of, I know it sounds stupid, but that was my highlight for the week. Seriously. <laughs> it doesn't take much to make me happy. So Anyway, that was this week, and I'm going to call it a day. I have to go get ready. I'm doing a, a live stream tomorrow with some friends. I want to talk about the Barbie movie. Complete change of pace. So anyway, so I have to go and get those things ready. But I hope you have a great week, and um, I hope you are able to do some good as well. So talk to you next time.